Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a senior associate here at Taylor Vinters. And welcome to the grand opening, the first in the series of season four of the Founders Series. We are back for another season with a whole host of new companies to speak to. Um, and I'm joined today by Deirdre O'Neill from Hertility. Uh, Deirdre, welcome. Um, so I am one of the co-founders of Hertility. I'm also a dual qualified lawyer. I actually did my master's in medical law, which lends itself greatly to Hertility, even if I didn't end up specializing in medical law. And, and my master's focused on the, the global regulation of biosciences. So there are great synergies with what I ended up doing in, in spite of what I actually worked in. I worked in venture capital in a, another law firm. <laughs> Other law firms are available. I yeah, I so I was in the venture capital team at Cooley and then decided to join forces with my identical twin sister and our amazing co-founder Natalie, who's an ovarian biologist, to found fertility. And and we basically came at it from three different angles, all of us having different interests and reasons behind why we felt this was really, really important. Natalie, as an ovarian biologist, was working on preservation of cancer patients' uh, fertility before they undergo treatment. And, and she essentially realized that, you know, it's not just cancer patients that need preservation of their fertility, it's, it's all women. And Helen was working in the lab and realizing that there was test tubes of, of people with the same age as she had, and, and yet she was not even considering having children or family but people were already go undergoing IVF and it, and it seemed crazy to think that we're we're sort of in a world that we're not we're not thinking about this at the time even though it's it, it's really really relevant to all women I obviously was working 19 hour days in in a law firm and noticed that it had an impact on my my reproductive health with our combined backgrounds Helen being a molecular geneticist with specializing in reproductive health generally and a 10-year lecture at UCL and, and me working in venture capital recognizing that there was no one else doing this and companies with sort of half the ability raising capital for causes that were nearly as worthy we all, all three decided to jo join forces and, and set up something that we we don't see it as just being a company we see it as being a mission so we're 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 very research led we're very much mission driven to kind of change the status quo and to to pioneer new methods to diagnose and prescribe and and also just be part of a social change so we're actively trying to change how people perceive reproductive health generally that's one of the things that we're we're driven kind of every day by every woman having a different story and everyone we speak to has something that they have to say about how they've been treated or how they haven't been diagnosed and that's that's what we're looking to change it sounds like you know, not not a small mission to undertake by <laughs> stretch of the imagination i know it's been um kind of referred to and coined as the kind of the reproductive revolution which i love mm -hmm. that phrase we we will come back and, and revisit that and obviously you you work in a similar area to to the areas that i work in in terms of venture capital it's quite a plunge to to leave that kind of job, which I know, as you said, you know, the, the long kind of hours and the long days, but a relatively secure income and a relatively secure environment in terms of a job and actually take the plunge as a co-founder of a, of a scale up. You've kind of touched on, you know, kind of having a, a realisation yourself that it was, you know, it was having effects on you and your, your own health. Was that the, the primary kind of motivator for, for wanting to make that change or, or what kind of factors kind of influenced that? One of them was that I, I found that there was just there was so much that we could potentially do. I, I felt 
I was quite inspired by, even though she's my own sister, I was inspired by the research she was doing. And, you know, she's actually actually working in gene editing and CRISPR and the advances in science that she was working on and where, where the law just hadn't caught up. And, and that really, really fascinated me. And it, it always did. The plunge is more direct because you're right. It's really, really hard to actually say, right, I'm going to go for broke, no salary, no nothing, no perks. I guess that the attitude is that, you know, mindfulness matters and mental health and well-being and all of these things are really, really important. And, and that's the rhetoric or that's the kind of tone that they take. It's not the reality. And in actual fact, you know, if you if your eye twitches for a month and a half, you know that there's, <laughs> there's something fundamentally wrong. And I noticed it with myself and some other colleagues as well that, it, you know, it had an effect on their reproductive health and that you notice symptoms and you notice that your period had either stopped or was delayed. And in my circumstance, I knew I was actively trying to have a family and uh, the circumstance combined with the lack of sleep, you know, your, your body's like, mm-hmm, no way, not in this environment. I'm not doing this. And because I have, you know, an identical twin sister who got pregnant with real ease, I thought um, I would be the exact same. And genetically speaking, I should have been, but environmentally speaking, I wasn't because I was in such a grueling environment. And, and that made me realize that if, if this is the cause and effect, if this is the impact, it's just not worth it. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that it, it all lends into the reasoning behind why we're doing what we're doing, because there needs to be more awareness. There needs to be more conversation and there needs to be more work in the, or support in the workplace for the reality of people having a life outside of long hours and, and deals. Yeah, what's been the biggest, I guess, skills that you've you've realised that oh yeah, actually that the legal career set me up quite well for this this role. Every single thing I do, it's reviewing commercial agreements, it's creating bespoke agreements between labs, between clinics, between doctors. Um, it's the fact that we've grown from a team of three to thirty three in a year. Everyone needs a an employment agreement, and and there's datas and privacy policies and all of these things it's it is more than full-time it's it's nothing else would have been sufficient and I actually think that my the work that I've done and being a lawyer has just been a really really amazing thing for the company I guess because it's it's a resource that we constantly constantly use and it's it's something that I'm I'm learning all the time and I'm growing all the time as a as a lawyer because I'm adapting various skills whether it's an employment law or data privacy or anything else and and general commercial agreements it's actually I really really enjoy it so I think actually it's been it's been a really really great thing to have almost like the best of both worlds yeah yeah it it really is it's it's a bit scary though it's I mean there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things at risk and it's all on my head. No, it's, it's actually been really worthwhile. And particularly having, you know, a background in, in venture capital throughout our raise. It's just, it's been really, really great. I, I felt like I had a, a bit of a, a leverage having that inside track of normally VCs are able to kind of scaremonger and say, well, this is what the norm is. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> You've just mentioned the raise and it should be a congratulations in order. But for those watching who don't know, in, in June, Fertility completed a, a 4.2 million uh, seed fundraising for its kind of first major capital round, which is awesome. What were some of kind of the main challenges you, you faced in that race? With what we're doing, it perfectly marries up biotech and femtech and there's no one else doing what we're doing. So once we kind of got that traction and we, once people kind of got word on, on the street of that, it was much easier for us. But in the initial outset, you're sort of balancing between wanting to spend time raising and wanting to actually spend time building your company. And, and the fundraising process is so time exorbitant and it's 
it's so exhausting because every investor you speak to has different sort of has a different nuance on what they look, want to see in their in their in the deck that you present and someone else and then you spend ages changing that and if the, if the time involved in it is the hardest thing we we actually made a concentrated effort to say we're actually going to focus on grants rather than investors because grant, we're, we're so much more eligible for grants in terms of uh, the research that we're doing and I guess advances that we're pioneering um, and that was a really really great move for us and I think the biggest problem with investors was and this is not sort of an anti-male rant but it was the pale male and stale where they didn't understand the problem and and I think it's becoming each day we see something else in the news about reproductive health and menopause and fertility and, and why it matters. And we we saw a shocking amount. Why would women care? You know, what's your market? 53% of the world is our market. What are you talking about? What's, is there a market for this? It's getting people to realize the importance of this or realize what we're fundamentally trying to do. That was, that was a stumbling block. As a company, really proud of, of an all female, all female founding. So that should just be something that's like accepted yeah. and, and the norm. But it's it's still not. And you read a lot in the reports and research about access to capital for kind of female founding teams, yeah. and you've seen it in your venture capital life. Is yeah. that something that, having seen it both as a lawyer, but then also kind of fundraising for fertility, is that something you feel is getting better? I think there's a massive gap. I think people are actually talking about it and acknowledging it but without actually doing something about it. So it's become <clears throat> part of the sort of rhetoric of like, we back female founders and we look to support, but there's gonna, there's a long way to go before that's represented in the numbers. I think we we had a, an advantage in that we've got a formidable background in terms of the fact that, you know, between the three founders, we've got 23 years of university experience, but it's, it's one of those things that, getting people to recognize that I think it's actually quite difficult difficult you definitely notice that there is a, a dismissiveness a lack of value I guess in, in in recognizing the power of an all-female team do you find that kind of translates or kind of correlates to also hiring employees do you find that women engage more with the mission and, and want to be part of the team or we do. We do. We've we've got about like about ninety nine percent women in our team. We've had a huge number of people who who went on the fertility journey and became a really big fan, and then you know approached us when they saw that we had we had vacancies available on the website for for roles. And actually, it's been really really refreshing because you don't get just get someone who who wants to have a job. You want you get someone who wants to join the mission, and that's really important for us in terms of hiring because it's it's so much ingrained in us that what we're doing is is like fundamentally important it's not just a job it, how's the dynamic at kind of a founder level with kind of two identical twins and obviously you've got natalie as well but natalie is is a great mediator um she is she is a saint uh in lots of ways because she sort of just it you know it washes over it's like she's she's a sibling as well in in ways because she just is like all right all right um but we actually have a great dynamic because we come at things from a very different angle you know because she's a lecturer in in genetics and and she's kind of done a very academic route through going you know at masters and then phd as an academic and, and scientist versus a, a lawyer we look at things in very different ways and sometimes it's very frustrating because you know they joke that I basically was like someone who's who had to be reconditioned into society like someone in the military with, with my working ethic was reply now you know did you see my email where are we on this and very much like results driven now whereas the the, the scientific side is you know, this is a concordance study. It will, we, we could take 10 years on this. And I was like, 
we need to find a happy medium here because I'm on the like 10 minute fix and you guys are on the the 10 year fix and in the beginning I think it was like a struggle to find out I I guess to find where we were in terms of priorities and things and they saw the importance of, of the the response time to VCs and things but not to the extent that I would they, they kind of be like we can reply whenever we want and I'm like um, but no it's actually amazing it's amazing working together it's it's something that we we actually work in very different ways and so it works really well because we contribute both very very different things and our interests you know in terms of Helen's kind of pioneering all of the research and and the the medicine behind it and I'm then plowing behind behind the the nasty commercials and, and the corporate, <laughs> the corporate <laughs> side of things, which is is fundamental for a company too. True, it's almost like the good cop, bad cop, isn't it? Being like the perfect founder. Not that lawyers are bad cop at all, obviously. Um, yeah, we have a running joke that my my title is not chief commercial officer; it's it's chief ball breaker, and <laughs> constant constant cracking of the whip. I love it. It's it's good though. It's it's needed sometimes as well. So especially with academics as well, just to almost get that kind of commercial focus at times well turning to the reproductive revolution and, and delving a bit more into to that so I guess the, the big question you know we, we've spoken about fertility and kind of the motivation behind creating it and kind of all the different factors how does the product that fertility has now and how does that work if there are women who kind of want to use your service and your product the, the general overview is is that we're kind of on a mission on a mission to basically revolutionize the world of reproductive health generally by educating by empowering making knowledge completely the norm breaking away taboos and by doing that we're offering basically specialists in every area of reproductive medicine so gynecology fertility polycystic ovarian syndrome endometriosis and menopause and we're we're trying to do this in the most accessible way to women so that it's in-house experts from the comfort of your home but you do it via a blood test so how, how how the journey goes is that we have created what we call a, a virtual health assessment. And the virtual health assessment takes into account all of the clinical guidelines and diagnostic criteria for all of the sort of reproductive uh, bodies and gynecological body, bodies. And it, the questionnaire that you do, it's, it's five minutes, but it takes into consideration 1,500 variables. And then from the answers to the questions that you give, we then curate and send a bespoke testing package for the person to do so essentially you do all the questions and then by by the by whatever you've answered we'll be able to tailor your test and test the appropriate hormones for you um and and where it varies is if someone is on on contraceptive hormone etc um and the results then you do the finger prick blood test which is just a single vial of blood send it back to our partner labs and the results are uploaded onto your personalized health hub. And it's really, really important to us that we don't just give results that can't be understood. We've taken a huge amount of time in making sure that the results are completely bespoke. So there's over 54,000 variables and that they're really, really easy to understand. Um, There's nothing worse than receiving information which is daunting enough without being able to understand it and furthermore, without being able to know where to go from there. So um, your report will be, every report is reviewed by one of our in-house doctors. Um, It explains your results, what they mean for you, what hormones we tested, why we tested them, what do they mean for your general life and and your your well-being overall, and what they're responsible for. And then we have articles linked to, we've got our, our knowledge center, which links 
articles that may be relevant for any aspect of your reproductive journey. And, and we've we've really, really gone. We've got a full team of 20 experts now and, and 12 or 13 researchers now and, and everyone working on making sure that we have the most comprehensive database of information on, on reproductive health that, that's re really accessible. And so the, the idea is that, you know, if you have something within your results that you want to talk about, if there's something generally you aren't really sure of, we have in-house experts, again, in, in all aspects of reproductive health that you can have a, a teleconsultation with. And if it is the fact that you wanted to go on for scanning, you can get a scan or go to a, one of our partner fertility clinics. So we've only partnered with HFEA rated clinics. So that's the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, highly rated clinics. So we've partnered with those so that someone has the journey all the way. So it, they're kind of felt like they're, they're taken care of for each step because there's nothing worse than the idea of having potentially a problem and then this odyssey on the internet of where do I find help? So we're trying to streamline a process that is otherwise really, really difficult to navigate and make it as easy as possible for everyone. It's all about empowering women to have the information they need to be able to make decisions, but then also if there are, you know, and hopefully not, but if there are any issues at any time to give them the, the kind of the access that they need to, to treatment and help. Yeah. And the reality is there are, there are, issues all the time one in three women has a gynae issue one in 10 has endometriosis one in uh one in 10 has pcos and so these are these are symptoms and issues and, and things that are are happening every day to women and the, the biggest problem that we've had and one of the, the most revealing things we've encountered is that of the fertility users that have done the journey they've gone um, one in five of them has a previously undiagnosed reproductive condition so they have just put it down to just you know, women's problems, and and this is one of the things that we're trying to to press ahead to plow through this concept that pain is normal or that this is just something that you deal with, and and it's similar from for whether it's a gynae issue or a fertility issue or a menopause issue, for too long symptoms are dismissed and counted as being just women's problems, but in actual fact there can be fundamental reasons, structural or otherwise, that are causing these symptoms. So we're really we're really on a mission to just ultimately provide for proactive not reactive diagnostics it's just quite interesting that you said you know there's, there's a lot of issues that a lot of people have that they perhaps don't realize they've had and they just put it down do you think society it's always been a taboo but because of that there's not the information out there that means that people can kind of talk about it or there is quite a lot of information and research which is people don't have access to it because they don't appreciate that there are issues no that it, it's a combination of all of those so for one there is a huge, huge lack of research into women's health. And that's because women's health is difficult. Women have an Easter cycle, their hormones change hourly, daily, monthly. And so they've always typically been really, really hard to do concrete uh, you know, research on. And sort of 40 year old Caucasian males are really easy to do research on because not very much changes. And so when we went back and kind of looked at what is the accepted norm, what are the, what are the textbooks saying? We were so shocked to see that it was, you know, things saying women are generally uh, happy to be consoled about their infertility. I was like, what women are? Like, when was this? Who was this written by? Um, <laughs> why wouldn't someone want to have some form of preventative help rather than a pat on the back and they're there? This isn't this isn't sorry, you've missed the boss. This is if you consider that the World Health Organization defines menstrual and reproductive health 
as being a, a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being. And, and it's not just the absence of a disease or infirmity. It's all matters that relate to the reproductive system and its functions and processes. And that gives an idea of, of how important this is, that it, it comes within every aspect of your life. And similarly, your, your menstrual health and your, your menstrual health has now been classified as the sixth vital sign because it reveals so much about your health that it's now alongside your temperature and your heart rate and blood pressure there's a lack of education generally there's a lack of training for for doctors you know we've spoken to nhs doctors who just who are crying out for for more information on this because they're told they don't have the resources to provide help so you know it's definitely not something that we're saying oh boo on the nhs they're doing enough they couldn't possibly take this on as well it's too much of a mission um, but telling someone certainly to go away for for a year and try harder. Well, firstly, in terms of symptoms, it, it's always go on the pill. There's this, this standard answer that seems to be that all women come back with their it's hiding and masking symptoms. You know, if you have pain, go on the pill. If you have bad skin, go on the pill. If you've, you're moody, go on the pill. And that's actually the worst thing you can do if you're trying to uncover that there's something fundamentally wrong is mask it for 5, 10, 15 years and then realize that there's an issue when you're suddenly expect to get pregnant. And the other aspect of it then is if, if someone is trying and they, they go to their GP and they're, to, they're told you have to have been actively trying for a year before you're eligible for treatment. That's like telling someone with cancer, we know come back in a year when you've got a tumor and then we'll consider you. It's, it's just, it's counterintuitive when we know our reproductive health is in decline to make someone wait longer. Yeah. Um, so it's a combination of, 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 of I think, culture lack of education and and lack of insight perfect so it's a good it's a good job we have obviously fertility on the you know starting the reproductive revolution and kind of trying to, to switch that i guess to go from reactive to proactive and kind of turn yeah. those timetables around yeah. what's you know from people that have gone through the, the process i know you mentioned one that ended up actually joining your your team which is i guess the probably biggest best bit of feedback that you could have that someone actually has been through the process and then wants to actually join and, and help you know, what's, what's the feedback been from, from users, you know, how they've found it compared to what they had uh, kind of option-wise beforehand? Or? They had no options beforehand. That's the, that's the greatest thing about this is where, where else do they go? There's no one else doing this. We are literally the only company in the world that offers this level of comprehensive testing with access to OBS and Gynae and all of these consultants all under one roof. And, and that's one of the key differentiators for us is that the idea of just having a, a solution on the NHS that doesn't exist or going to a fertility clinic, you know, the comparison to that is it's a psychological as well as a financial barrier to go to a fertility clinic. You have to be at a certain stage in your life. You're usually in a, in a committed relationship. You've been actively trying with, you know, frankly, these days you shouldn't have to be any of those things. Um, and you should, certainly shouldn't have to be in a in a an opposite sex relationship, which is one of the barriers on the NHS. You, you, you can't be in a same sex relationship, which is you know, in, in the year that we're in, um, there shouldn't be any barriers to just finding out information about your, your reproductive health. And so that's one of the, the biggest things is that we've had so many really heartwarming stories and, and really scary stories, too, about people who have checked in on their reproductive health and just casually checking in. Uh, we had someone who's as young as 22 who realized through 
her test that she was in essentially early menopause, so she was in primary ovarian insufficiency. And had she done the usual thing that every other 22-year-old does, it's, you typically wait for a decade and then say, well, now I might try, she would have had no chance whatsoever. And instead she froze her eggs and was able to preserve her fertility. And, and it was one of those things that her, her kind of, I guess, her testimony on her story about this is that it genuinely changed her life. And, and that's the thing that, that fuels us. I had no idea either about the whole um, opposite sex kind of requirement on the NHS. Yeah. As you said, that doesn't sound like something that should be happening kind of in this day. Because 100% of the LGBTQ plus community will need assisted reproductive care if they want to have a family. Yeah. So to have that kind of barrier is crazy. And we really, really want to pioneer something that, that opens up a journey for that community as well as everyone else. You mentioned one of the reasons... Um, that you kind of left the law was because of the kind of the work-life balance and the aspects and you know what's what's fertility doing as a company kind of in that respect um, it's it's funny you say that it's it's as you as you grow as a company you suddenly have to scrabble around to realize that you need more than just you know the kind of in-house rules that you you know from from dealing with your twin sister and all of a sudden you need to have proper bespoke policies and and things that people when you're hiring more and more accomplished people to help you grow your company you need to have more and more things that appeal to them and um we've actually kind of had some some real fun trying to think about the ways that we can offer something that's different like we're having a, a period power down day if, if you need to have if you need to have a day for your reproductive health but we the balance of that is then is thinking what can we offer men then <laughs> um and needing to be fair on that but we are you know, we've started as a remote company, so there's flexible, flexible working um, for anyone that needs it. We have a, we have our own counsellor. She's our fertility counsellor, but we offer everyone um, fertility counsel or, or general counselling, one on one counselling session if they need it. And we, we generally just try and be really, really supportive of everyone's life. We, we all understand that everyone has things that go on outside of work and, and we just are um, we're a very, very supportive, close knit company. So I guess the, the two questions I always like to kind of end this on, the, the first is kind of what's what's next for Hatility. So obviously we, we, you know, we started out on the mission, you, well, you started out on the mission, um, the fundraising's in, you're growing the team, you're hiring, the platform is kind of taking shape. And as you said, you're kind of starting the revolution now. So what's, where do you see kind of the future for the company as much as you can say? Um, no, I'm, I'm happy to say that we are seeking total global domination. We are really, really um, excited about the fact that what we're doing is very novel. The, the future for us is, is pioneering novel research. So our research combines endocrinology and reproductive science and gynecology and, and machine learning. And so we're, we're running a lot of research trials in order to kind of close knowledge gaps and, and to pioneer new and novel diagnostic methods and we basically have we've got sort of a uh, proprietary algorithm that determines you know the most suitable hormones for people and, and and we're hoping to basically be the be the 10,000 steps for reproductive health tracking so we launch our app uh, later this year and then what we're hoping to do is have the journey end to end so it's it's not just about testing your reproductive health one off it is you know, you know, 10, 15 years ago, nobody really think that thought they had to get to this barometer of 10,000 steps. And that's just one facet that isn't really, it's not very useful in terms of your day to day, but our hormones dictate our hair, our skin, our mood, our weight, our sex drive, our sleep, everything to do with our being. And yet we are completely clueless as to what they're doing. And, and so what we want to do and what we want to be is the sort of the home of women's health um, and reproductive health generally, 
and and pioneer reproductive health tracking um for everyone from from menstruation through to menopause so that's the big goal um in terms of sort of active steps and in being more granular on that that vision um we are launching in ireland uh q1 next year um we've just launched a polycystic ovary syndrome um package which it was was a really really big thing for us to to launch so that it's it's a different idea that we have a specialist who's one of the world or he's one of certainly the uk and probably the world's leading experts in pcos so we're really really excited to have him and we're also launching menopause testing in the coming months so lots and lots going on loads (laughs) yeah yeah no real let up but one bit of advice you would give to someone in your shoes or you know starting up or wanting to start up a a company where to begin (laughs) um i think i think just having having a clear idea on what it is that you want to achieve um even if that's going to the moon being so determined that you know you're going to get there and we have people said we went PhD at level on our startup because we just, there wasn't a boundary that we weren't willing to cross. There wasn't, you know, everyone said just launch an at-home test. We were like, no, it's not good enough. It's not enough. It's, it's not about testing one biometric. It's about testing a series of things. So we get a holistic picture and everyone that said you're trying to do too much. It's, it's, it made us think, well, but that's because it's, there isn't enough. And, and I think not having, not being put off by being pigeonholed into doing one thing, um, is really really important and kind of having the tenacity to stick to what you want to do um, and know where you want to get to even if it's a huge huge mountain just um just persevere with it Perfect. amazing well I mean hopefully well, yeah, we wish you all the best and kind of in that journey and, and hoping that you do kind of tick off all the things that are coming up and it's, it's hugely exciting we obviously got some questions in and we've got about 15 minutes or so in terms of um those working at Hotility and the culture that you're trying to create there is there anything that Hotility does, you know, with, with your background, having kind of been in that highly, you know, highly long hour environment, is there anything that Hotility does to kind of ensure that it doesn't have that culture and that, you know, people are enjoying, you know, enjoying their work and getting the right work-life balance outside of kind of the, the kind of policies that you touched on earlier? Yeah, I mean, the, the work-life balance, I think, is a lot easier now that we're in a culture of, of working from home. We have we have kind of the op- op- option to work in a in an office as well for people and generally people love that sort of the combination of, of being able to do that I think it's it's very different when you're working in the corporate world and you have deal after deal after deal and, and different time zones to work with that was one of the, the primary things of of my career was was knowing that there was never ever a, a six o'clock finish because six o'clock is always someone's someone else's uh 9 a.m and and it's one of those things that it's it's a lot easier when your team is is here although we have we have three now in tel aviv as well um but we're we're very you know we're we're, i as much as i say i i crack the whip we are a very sort of supportive and collaborative team so that if there's someone who is struggling with someone with something we have we have a a call every friday that we walk through what thing people are working on and the whole team joins and we're very much focused and center on collaboration and how can we help and how can we progress things and I think I think once you've come from a, a really if you come from a, a really harsh background of, of working, you, you don't want to inflict it on anyone else. Yeah, no, of course. No, I like it. it. Sounds I mean, it sounds perfect, doesn't it? It does sound like and, and the way that I think people should be running their kind of companies, especially. So um, it's a lot easier to do know that now that people have at least 
you know, uh, uh, the ability to be at home and, you know, sometimes people join in their pajamas from their bed and that's, that's fine. It's, it's one of those yeah. things that you're, if you get your work done. Yeah. It's one of the, it's almost one of the kind of the benefits to the extent there are benefits of kind of the last 18 months, isn't it? It's, it's kind of forced that change in people a lot quicker than perhaps it, I think it was trending that way, but it's forced yeah. those kind of changes on people a lot quicker than perhaps yeah. they would otherwise. So, um, which is good. There's a, there's a couple of questions on kind of um, fundraising as you'd expect, because always when you, you know, when you've been successful, people always want to know how you've done it um, and made it look so effortless. Um, yeah. there's, <laughs> there's, there's one kind of specific on, on grants, which is um, a question around, you know, when you mentioned kind of taking grant funding, because actually that turned out to be quite a more accessible route. Um, was, was that mainly, you know, accessing UK style grants or were there kind of international grants and global grants that you were able to apply for as well? Um, we applied for a few, um, but we were we were awarded the Biomedical Scholars Grant. So it was a UK government innovation biomedical grant, um, which it's highly competitive. And we were basically recognized as being one of the UK's leading innovators in science and technology. So it's because of what we were doing, it was quite specific to research and clinical symptom bio, biomarker based modeling to predict the risk of developing reproductive conditions. So, you know, we were very, very particular in that. There are so many other grants that are, you know, women in tech or that are quite generic. And, and the competition on those is really, 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 really high. Um, and because they're so broad, um, they're very hard to actually nail down. Um, uh, you can also waste a huge amount of time and resources and, and I will I will warn warn other people if they're applying for them some of them are really just fact-finding methods to find out as much information about the company as you can we, we applied for one and we actually looked back afterwards and thought the amount of time we spent the amount of resources we we gave and, and the amount of I guess information we gave away which we really we really wouldn't have were we not desperate <laughs> was actually really unjust because I think you know, the, the, the likelihood of you being granted it when there's a million applicants is, is crazy. But yeah, so just be, be apply with caution. There's, there's a couple of questions around as a company, you know, you've got a real social purpose and, and kind of wanting to empower women. But then there's also the, the other side of it, which is you are a company and you are scaling and wanting to, to grow. Uh, and obviously, you know, that requires investment from investors and investors buy into um, what you're doing, but then also, you know, have their have their own investors and funds have their investors, and there's that kind of this tension, I guess, to make a return on their investment at some some form. So yeah. I guess the, the questions that we had are, are kind of two two parts. One is kind of how how you found that kind of tension between you know having obviously the strong mission and and wanting to empower with kind of also growing the business and and that more commercial side of it, yeah. but then also kind of I guess the importance of choosing the right investor from a you know to get someone that actually really buys into what you're doing first and foremost and then kind of worries about returns latter for us i think had we been more focused on the commercial returns we may have gotten research or we may have gotten in um investment earlier but in in actual fact we were so motivated by the altruistic element of this and and the research and the education piece that it's almost like and, and it's, it's a struggle because you don't want to dilute your mission and your values in order to just promote something that someone wants to hear. And we were really, really lucky. We were we were actually really picky on on who our investors were because it, it's, it's so important that they understand what we're doing and not just understand 
how much money we're going to make by when. And so the investors that we have are so unbelievably supportive of the mission um, and, and, and the people who've been involved are, are just are really, really great. So the, I, I, we haven't even felt that sort of pressure because I think they're genuinely impressed by the kind of the, the research, the pioneering research to reduce diagnostic times, you know, which ultimately has its value. You know, it's undeniable that, that has its value, but to, to just detract from what we're doing by saying that it's, it's a, a profit generating, it, it's, it's really great for us to know that the sort of the revenue goes straight into the research and they're they're okay with that we see it a lot when we're advising companies as well that you know there's many different types of investor and there are there are investors out there which are just you know they will give you the capital and they will give you a lot of capital but they expect the return but i think it's it's important sometimes for founders just not to not just to take that and actually to look into who your investors are you know yeah. what they believe in there's a whole host of social impact investors now that really do play into it so but there's also a whole host that have that recognize that that's what they're supposed to say but you, it's so easy to see through that um, and we we spoke to quite a lot of investors and where they say oh we're really into women's health and like are you in, in, in what yeah. way you know and 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 this you scratch the surface and you recognize pe- some people's true motives and like the reality of a lot of them is like oh this is a buzzword femtech what's this about and 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 you know the reality is that like you can actually see when someone gets it and gets what we're trying to achieve and that's really really refreshing and, and we're we're really glad to have really good investors that they buy into the mission uh, but there's a couple of questions around collaborations and partnerships potentially in other spaces and whether that's something maybe one day you know you consider in terms of you know, surrogacy services and, and kind of imaging methodologies and other biomarkers for hormone testing yeah so we are the the partnerships roadmap is expansive got we've partnered with my surrogacy journey already we partnered with them early this year to help anyone on a, on a surrogacy journey and, and what we want to have is an availability for anyone no matter what what they're trying to achieve in in their reproductive journey and so we we've made that partnership um and we've had a really good few um referrals through and, and, and happy people with, the, with that kind of process um in terms of other partnerships so we've partnered with Mumsnet. Um, they have a trying to conceive community and, and it was really, really important to us that we we try to reach as many people who are you know, clearly on a forum struggling to find answers about what's going on with their reproductive health. And you know, nowadays you shouldn't have to wonder, and particularly w- with this. So we're we're launching with Mumsnet next week, which is which is exciting. There's loads of different avenues in terms of partnerships where we can where we want to partner with UCL and King's College to educate. Um, as well as providing sort of like workshops and webinars. And we, we've launched our workplace benefits um, platform, which is, is essentially designed to help people in the workspace feel like they are, are supported by their employer and, and, and to know that they have a, they have a journey to, they, or they, they have a support on, on whatever journey they, they, can, they need to take. It's very isolating if you, if you do have an issue and you're, you don't feel like it, you can talk to anyone about it or do anything about it or even take some time away from work. Um, this sort of combines what would be three appointments into, into one and you don't even need to leave your home. And so it makes it a lot easier for people to access really quick and affordable care. You know, for, for what we're offering, it would cost a, it's for £149, it would cost you upwards of 1800 in a fertility clinic. So we're, we're really sort of breaking the barriers so that it's accessible for a lot of people. But there are, there are countless partnership opportunities for us in educating or in workplace benefits or otherwise. 
to hear you speak, it does sound like you're well on the way to global domination because there's <laughs> so much. I'm also partnering with, with um, the Lady Garden Foundation, which is a charity. So um, they're on supporting because it's Gynae Cancer Awareness Month. And so we're, we partner with them this month to um, give donations for all of the, the five types of gynae cancer. The thing that strikes me the most is how much fertility has done in quite a short space of time, like relatively in terms of like just the reason. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Those 19 hour days have just been put to, to different use, but it's incredible. Um, Deirdre, it's, it's been amazing. We're kind of we're coming up to the end of the session, but I just want to say thank you for you know for agreeing to speak to me and, and for your time today. It's been uh, it truly really has been great to kind of uh, to speak to you and to get your insights on kind of fertility and, and but also just the wider issues that kind of we've highlighted throughout the kind of the last hour. Um, also, it's, it's been amazing. So thank you very much for your time. Um, Thank you as well to everyone for your questions and, and for everyone that's kind of attended and watched. Um, it's been great to have you all here. Not that we can see you, but I'm sure you're all there in your thousands um, listening. Um, I, I have a few plugs, like shameless plugs from, from our side. Um, we have a, a, a new founder's handbook that is going to be uh, released shortly. So watch out for that. It's going to be hopefully a big benefit to, to lots of different founders out there. Um, obviously, we've got the rest of Founders Series Season 4. So my colleagues will be interviewing a couple of equally inspiring companies coming up. So again, watch out on our social media for the dates for those. And obviously, as I said at the start, this is all being recorded. So if you've absolutely loved the last hour, as I know I have, you can download and re-watch it um, as many times as you like. It, it will be on our website um, in a few days' time. So Deirdre, thank you very much and I hope you have a good evening. Thank you. I'm just going to do one quick plug as well. If, if people would like to follow and support and, and just follow on socials, um, we're, we're obviously, we've got a full page dedicated to our research and clinical trials. So, you know, share it, like it, subscribe, get involved, support the mission. Have a good evening, everyone else. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.